seated. short that video I want it to keep going I absolutely love weddings and I always consider it just this unbelievable honor and privilege to marry someone whether it's in a sanctuary or it's on the beach or in their backyard wherever it is it is always always holy ground for sure well, every wedding has a story. You know that. And so I just want to share a couple of them with you. When Tim and Sally Glisten got married, there we all are. When they got married, Sally's sister was the one that was supposed to have the rings. So when I asked her, whispering, you know, of course, do you have the rings? She looked at me and said, I don't have them. <laughs> and I whispered back, okay. We're going to fake it. So we just faked it and went on. No one knew a thing. Now, in uh, Aaron and Jay Annis' wedding, Aaron made the mistake of telling me that she'd made up a song about Jay. So during the homily, I don't know what came over me, but I looked at her and said, Aaron, would you like to sing that song? And you know what? She did. She did, loud and proud. It started off something like, it's a great day if your name is Jay. <laughs> something about feeding the dog showed up in the song. I don't know, but it was hilarious. We were dying laughing. At Brooks and Michelle Cunningham's wedding, which took place last August on Santorini Island in Greece, you can see us, we're going... Because just as we were about to pronounce them husband and wife, can you see the water behind us? That's water, okay? That's water. So we're up on a cliff, and that's water. Well, on that water was a big, giant cruise ship. And just as we were to pronounce them husband and wife, all of a sudden, the cruise ship started blasting its farewell horn. I mean, it was a showstopper. We couldn't hear anything, and that's us. We are just like this about it. Then you have Lindsay and John Kenyon's wedding uh, downtown in front of our previous church there where they had an historic fire engine. That's what they're standing in front of. And on that engine, they, they popped right up on top of that wedding dress and everything in the rain and traveled all the way down the street to the firefighters museum that's also on Zach Street. Why? Because John is a firefighter. I just thought it was great. At Cam and Lindsay Martin's wedding, it's on Davis Island. I am doing this homily and just looking at this family that I love so much. And out of the corner of my eye, I see movement from the pirate ship. <laughs> it's not January. It's not February. And I'm thinking, what's going on? It's not the sail back that they do. I'm wondering, what in the world? And I hear a lot of noise. I hear a cannon go off. <laughs> but I'm not thinking a whole lot yet until it's time to do the vows. You can see they're facing each other. Cam is so tall. I'm standing behind him. 
can barely see me. So we're about to do these vows. It's very, very serious. And all of a sudden, as if perfectly timed, right behind us, in all its glory, guns a-blazing, uh, the cannons were blowing, not just one, not just two, but one right after another. And I just thought, you know, I'm rolling with this. So I said, all of Tampa is bursting with joy, <laughs> celebrating you. And everyone at that wedding was just sure that Cam's dad, Mike Martin, had planned the whole thing, <laughs> paid him off to do it. There are so many other fun stories uh, from doing a wedding, this one's not so fun, uh, where the bride's veil caught on fire from the unity candle. And I'm talking flame. <laughs> and a quick-thinking groomsman gallantly took off his jacket and swatted the bride in the head, which is its own issue, and snuffed out the flame. Well, the bride, I'm looking at a bride with a half-burnt-out veil, and she's still smiling. I don't know how. And I peek around, and her mother is just <laughs> frozen. What's even weirder is everyone acted like it didn't even happen. <laughs> and I'm like, D are, uh, okay. So uh, on we went with that wedding. Well, there was a hurricane wedding one time. There was a paparazzi wedding where we ended up on Entertainment Tonight. Another time, another story. But perhaps one of my favorites is my own wedding. My own favorite moment in my wedding when we were pronounced husband and wife, and Fitz picked me up and twirled me around 360 degrees of a twirl to start our marriage. I loved it. I still do. I will never forget that. I didn't know what was happening. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> but as I said, every wedding has a story, and if you had a wedding, I bet you have a story, and I'd love to hear it. But that includes a wedding that Jesus was invited to. Apparently, Jesus loved weddings, but how could he not? Because in his culture, Weddings were the parties like none other. Why? Because they lasted for a full week. And we only have details from one day of the wedding week that Jesus attended, and it's when the wine ran out. That's the day we hear about. And it's John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Now, what I want you to understand is, in this culture, um, Day one of the wedding, you have the vows going on, the prayers, all that's happening. But the bride and groom are then hoisted up by everyone in the village with torchlights blaring, and they go all the way into the village to the new home where the bride and groom are going to live. That's where day two of the wedding week occurs, where now the bride and groom are hosting everyone 
for another week of full activity, celebration, food, wine, everything going on. So there's a lot happening here. Um, all of a sudden, when the wine runs out, Jesus' mother says to Jesus, they have no more wine. Dear woman, and that is endearing. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. So the washing of feet, the washing of hands. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first. But then everyone has had a lot to drink. He brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, in the Bible, heaven is described, ready for this, as a wedding banquet. Don't you love that? A wedding party. And John's first hearers of this story would have connected the joy of living forever in God's kingdom with the joy of a wedding. Now, in first century times, running out of a wedding, uh, running out of wine at a wedding was not just an inconvenience. It was a social disaster and a disgrace and really highly embarrassing for the groom because, you see, the groom in this culture was financially responsible for the whole wedding. So he would have been horrified and embarrassed that he couldn't provide for his friends because it was a shame-honor-based culture. Africa is a shame-and-honor-based culture. So many of you have helped our friends, Mogus Barasa from Ethiopia and Alexis Kwame from Tanzania, because of the same weight of financial responsibility on them, you helped them buy a goat, a cow, and clothing for the bride's entire family for their wedding so that they would not have shame. Isn't that amazing? Now, what's also true, and we need to make this clear, is that drunkenness... And being overserved was also a disgrace. And it's clear in Scripture that God says that that's still true for us today. But wine was a symbol of joy. So running out of wine was symbolic of running out of joy. Well, I love it that Jesus brought joy, all kinds of joy, to this wedding party. He came into the world to bring joy. Let's look at some passages that underscore that. 
from Luke 2.10. When Jesus was born, the angel said, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. In John 10.10, Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. John 15.11, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. When we hear all these words together, aren't they a great reminder that the good news of the gospel is good news? Not just normal news, not judgmental news, but uplifting news, encouraging news, news that lifts a party, right? Jesus not only came into the world to bring joy, but notice that he started, launched his ministry by bringing joy to a wedding. It was his very first miracle, a miracle that mattered to one groom. So in this first miracle, Jesus is demonstrating for us his commitment to one at a time impact to change lives. It's how he comes out of the gate, and he doesn't want us to miss it. Now, if I'm Jesus, and I'm on a rescue mission to save the world, I don't think it would have occurred to me to make my first miracle providing a bride and groom with wine, great wine, for their wedding party. I would probably have come up with something more obvious, more public, that would have gotten the word out faster, like one of his later miracles, for heaven's sake. Raising someone from the grave. Healing a blind man. But on San Pedro Street, where I live, if my neighbors heard about a God that provided great wine at a wedding and saved the day for a, a groom financially responsible for the day, they'd want to know more. People were just drawn to Jesus because of his joy. And people are drawn to you because of the joy of Jesus in you. Joy is attractive. Isn't it? And parties are one of those places where we experience joy. It's why we want to go to parties. Well, I had a neighbor that was really good at throwing parties. You've heard Fitz and I talk about him some. I am not talking about Julianne and Danny Hendrickson. <laughs> who are amazing next-door neighbors. We love being next-door neighbors with you guys. We do. Uh, no, I'm talking about another amazing neighbor named Roger, who used to live in their house. Roger was amazing for different reasons. When Roger and his fiance first moved into the house next to us, I baked some cookies and brought them over to welcome them to the neighborhood. And I found Roger to be very warm and winsome with this magnetic personality? Well, their house was a constant party, just partying 
all the time, all night long, all day long, every hour imaginable. When Fitz would get up to go train for marathons, they were just pulling in because the bars had closed. So they had a bus, and I'm not kidding you, one of those giant party buses full of people pouring out and into the house they went, in the backyard they went. You know, our houses are like three inches apart, right? <laughs> so, I, you know, it was common to hear women saying, Roger, Roger, Roger. And they were all vying to get his attention. Well, that's when we found out that Roger was a producer of pornography. It's like, oh. And one day, and I already checked for children in the room. One day, uh, in our front yard, I found a bright red women's undergarment in my driveway. What am I? So I picked it up, and I went next door, knocked on their door, and just said, um, <laughs> Roger and his fiance came to the door. I said, I think someone left this from your party last night, maybe? And the fiancé said to me, do you hear our hot tub parties? <laughs> and, you know, I'm trying to build a relationship here. <laughs> Other neighbors would call the police on them, so we never had to. So I, my response was, yes, uh, yes, we do. <laughs> and to which Roger said, awesome, you guys need to come join us. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So I, I'm trying to catch my breath. Roger invited us to his party, albeit a naked hot tub party. But to this day, I regret it that I never invited Roger to one of my parties. Dang it. You know, I cared for Roger, and I was genuinely sad when Roger said they were moving away because I missed an opportunity. I never invited Roger and his fiance over for a meal, not even a backyard cookout to watch football. But Jesus wouldn't have missed the opportunity. Sure, I brought cookies when they moved in and a pie on Christmas, you know, that I had baked. But I missed the opportunity to invite Roger and his fiance into our home to build a real relationship that might have led to connecting about things that mattered on Roger's heart, on her heart, and probably, you know, so much more. That's why Fitz and I want to invite you to throw a party. A professor from Fuller Theological Seminary, where Fitz and I went to seminary in California, was asked this question. What is one key to bringing people that are far from God near? You know what his answer was? Start throwing great parties. Start throwing great parties. And you know what? That, that is as profound as it can possibly be because isn't that fantastic? Loving people one at a time, 
by throwing a party? You know who's really good at that in our church? Vince Panino. Vince Panino loves connecting the unconnected. And Vince actually has a party in a box. And this party in the box spins out not only music, but lights going everywhere. And Vince will do a pop-up party anywhere, anytime, inviting all kinds of people. Now, you don't need to have a party in a box. But you do want to have God's heart for connecting the unconnected. He does. You know, our church has the nickname, the Bagel Church. We got that nickname years ago, and I love it. It's so inviting and welcoming, right? But wouldn't it be amazing if we were also known as the Party Church? Oh, I would love that. Because inviting people to your party is not only one of the most natural things that a follower of Jesus can do, but Kyle Eidelman, the author and pastor who wrote this book from whence we got the series one at a time, also said throwing parties might be the most spiritual thing that a Jesus follower can do. Isn't that great? The most spiritual thing. Why? Because as followers of Jesus, you and I need to keep looking for those unexpected, surprising ways to love and serve people that are far from God. It is our opportunity for them to get a new view of Jesus and an opportunity for them to get a new view of what it means or what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. So Fitz and I made a decision. Let's throw an impromptu front yard party. And we were so excited, we, we pulled out our one folding chair and laid some blankets out on our front lawn. I made a whole bunch of appetizers, put them on a table. I got some snacks for kiddos, got uh, water, juice, wine, beer. And then I started knocking on the doors, starting with our closest neighbors. But I soon discovered that a lot of them were already going out for the evening or uh, they just weren't at home. So I started knocking on doors further and further and further out. Now, some might say that I was just making it more and more and more weird. <laughs> but knocked I did. And you know what? Neighbors that are really close to us that we know well, and neighbors that we just kind of wave at a little bit and kind of know their name, and the neighbors we've met when walking our dog around the block said yes. And the next thing we knew, our front yard was filled with all kinds of people, kids, pets. We were having a blast. We've done two of these. And the last one was on a Friday evening from starting at 5.30 p.m. Um, and lasted till past dark. It was well after 8 p.m. And we just were hanging out with each other. But that's not even the best part. Because a few days later... 
one of our neighbors who had come to our impromptu front yard party knocked on my door and said, could we visit for a few minutes? Because I just need to talk to someone about the weight of anxiety in my life. I was like, of course, come in. And a few weeks after that, she wanted to ask me some questions about God. And then about a month after that, I came home and found a post-it note on my front door, and it said, hey, Kathy, could you come over and pray for me? Well, I ran into her on Friday afternoon, just two days ago, as she was walking with her little boy coming home from the playground, and I was walking Tally. And we were talking for just a minute, and she said, you know, we don't go to any church or anything like that, but she said, would it be okay if we brought our little guy and came to trunk or treat at your church? I was like, of course. I love what God is doing. And I can't wait to see what's going to happen next. As McLean said, that might be a bridge. This whole beautiful developing relationship might be a bridge into her one day being right here sitting with you and me. Wouldn't that be great? And maybe her husband too. We already know her little guy would love being with Miss Rachel or Miss Charlie, don't we? Yeah. You know, throwing a party has got to be one of the most unexpected ways that God wants to use you to change the world one life at a time, one neighbor at a time, one colleague at a time, one family member at a time. Because those conversations that are so relaxed and normal and authentic that happen at parties can lead to so much more than you can ever imagine. You remember when Jesus' mother Mary voluntold the party servers, do whatever he tells you to do? Friends, you need to do whatever Jesus tells you to do. So do I. Loving people, one at a time, the way Jesus does it. By building a relationship, a real relationship, that will lead to real transformation. Because every time, one person at a time is noticed, valued, loved, pursued, and ultimately rescued by God, you know what Jesus teaches? In the three parables of the lost coin and the lost uh, sheep and the lost son, Jesus teaches that every time that happens, all of heaven breaks out in a, a party. Is that great or what? And it often happens because you threw a party. Do what Jesus tells you to do. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father,
thank you that you're a party thrower, the best kind. Thank you for showing us, Lord, that you want to bring joy into our broken, lost, struggling hearts. Thank you for showing us, Lord, that it can be as simple as inviting others into our homes, into our parties, where we can bring joy by just listening and loving people well. And Lord, thank you for the way in which you often take those moments and lead it to conversations that matter, heart conversations, including, Lord, the best ones about you. Lord, I pray for my friend that I ran into on the sidewalk who's going to come to trunk or treat with her little boy. Oh, Father, I pray with all my heart that she ends up in this room and that one day, having been pursued by all of us and by you, she will be yours. And Lord, I can't wait for heaven to break out in a party over just the one. You're amazing. You throw a party for just one. And thank you, Lord, for doing it for that groom so long ago, for loving him well. Thank you for loving us one at a time really well. In Christ's name we pray with joy. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand up. Here.